Okay, well, if everybody could please have your seats, uh, we'll go ahead and start the afternoon session. Uh, our first talk this afternoon is going to be in the area of drug delivery challenges related to global health. Uh, and so it's my real pleasure to introduce uh, Dr. David Robinson, who's Deputy Director, CMC Vaccines Development and Surveillance at the Bill and, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So, folks, really happy to uh, talk to you this afternoon. So, at the foundation, we have two very simple beliefs. One is that all lives have equal value. The other is that every person should have the opportunity to leave a healthy, productive life. And those beliefs have been with us since, really, the foundation of the foundation. Uh, so, every, found, every, every company has kind of their, their history story. This is ours. Uh, where you know, Bill and Linda Gates were uh, thinking about what to do with, with the wealth they'd been uh, privileged enough to accumulate. And they read an article, something like this one in the New York Times, that talked about the fact that there are still millions of children in poor countries who are dying of diseases that had long been thought to be cured in the United States. And they actually sent it to uh, Bill Sr., uh, Bill's father, with a small note saying, Dad, maybe there's something we can do about this. And so starting from the basement of Bill Sr.'s house, they're trying to say, what could they do about this? It's now grown into the largest philanthropic organization in the world uh, and gives out about $4 billion a year in grants every year. And it's one of those grants I'd like to talk to you about today. Now, we work in or support people in the poorest countries in the world. And there are some unique aspects of that. And you can see that a bit in the picture here. We're looking at a measles vaccination campaign in Ethiopia. And some of the unique things we have, you can see in the kind of that lower left-hand corner, there's a cooler. There's a very small cooler. All the vaccine, if it needs to be stored cold, has to come in that cooler when they're going out in campaigns. So clearly devices and other things we have have to be very small and compact so people can bring more vaccines with them and therefore treat more children. You also note that this isn't exactly a hospital setting, right? It's a very non-clinical setting. So we do worry a lot about things like contamination from needles. We worry about, uh, in this kind of setting, the ability for people to do reconstitution of dried vaccines and not make errors. Uh, so ease of use is a very important criteria, as is cost. Oop. I will not answer that film. <laughs> okay, so cost and ease of use are very important criteria for us when it comes to designing devices. Now, to give you a little bit of a use case for things, things, what type of things we're looking for, I want to talk a little bit about measles vaccination. Okay, so prior to the introduction of vaccines, measles actually killed one to two million kids a year. Okay, and then vaccine was developed, actually in this case in the, in the mid-60s, and still largely the same. Measles vaccine is one of the least stable, most labile vaccines there. So it has to be dried, lyophilized, in order to be stabilized. Even that has to be kept cold. So you've got one vial that's lyophilized powder. You have another vial that's sterile water to reconstitute, and you have a syringe. So you can feel that's relatively bulky and relatively complex to administer in a non-clinical setting. Nonetheless, it works quite effectively. So this is a graph that shows the estimated number of deaths from measles going back over the past 20 years or so. The upper dashed line 
is an estimate of what would have happened if there had been no vaccinations. Again, one to two million children would have died each year. The solid line at the bottom is what's actually occurring. You can see fewer kids are dying each year. If you look at the difference between those two lines, that means over the past two decades, 20 million deaths have been prevented by vaccination. But there's still almost 100,000 children a year who die from a vaccine-preventable illness that's considered largely eliminated and eradicated in the Americas. If you think about that, that's 10 children in an hour. Okay, that means that's 20 or 30 children have died since we had our last talk. Okay, and it's really something we want to be able to do something about. The reason for that, the reason that still children who are unvaccinated, really comes down to coverage. So measles as well is, is actually one of the most infectious diseases out there. Every child who gets infected inadvertently infects under 12 to 18 children. Each of those 12 to 18 children, of course, go on and inadvertently affect another 12 to 18 children, and pretty soon you have an epidemic. Okay, so the only way to get around that is to vaccinate a lot of the children. WHO, the World Health Organization, estimates the need to vaccinate about 95% of the kids in order to really prevent and eliminate and eventually eradicate measles. So they've been trying to do this for the past 20 years, and you can see what happens there. They, the first, they give a single dose. See that first dose, MCV1, they're trying to get to 95% coverage. And for the last, despite their best efforts, for the last six years, it's been stuck about 85% coverage. And also, while measles is a very effective vaccine, not every child gets protected from the first dose. Some kids don't seroconvert, and so you try to give them a second dose to catch those kids as well. And the coverage for that second dose is even lower. So the goal is to get to 95%. And we can't just ask people like the World Health Organization or vaccinators to work harder, because they're really working as hard as they can to get this done. We need to give them better tools for vaccination. And this essentially to allow them to do house-to-house -house campaigns. So they go into the most remote areas, go house-to-house, -house, and make sure they're vaccinating every child. And there's a variety of lists here about the things that would help make enable those house-to-house -house campaigns and get better coverage. We believe, and our current request for proposal is this, that if we had a dual-chamber device, where essentially we had one chamber that had the IOFIS vaccine in it, another chamber that had the liquid, sterile water, and integrated needle that would make it easier for them because we'd simplify the process of constitution and we'd enable administration by less well-trained personnel because in many cases, vaccination campaigns are limited by the number of people who can be trained to vaccinate people. So that's our current request for proposals. And I'd actually like to ask my colleague, Abby Meyer, who's administering this RFP, to come up here and talk about this next part. Great. So as Dave said, uh, we're currently looking for a proposal to address this need for a device that will enable these home-to-home -home campaigns to be more effective. Um, and so specifically what we're looking for is a pre-filled, sterile, dual-chamber injection device. Uh, and we're hoping to apply that to two different use cases, the first being measles, the measles rubella vaccine and the second being injectable contraceptives. Uh, and so uh, we currently have this request for proposals active. It's, the proposals are due by July 10th. Uh, and we're looking right now for really proof of concept ideas, um, looking to make probably smaller three to five grants of 100 to $200,000, uh, but in the long term hope to 
uh, you know, progress with one or more of these devices to the place where it's really being manufactured at scale. Are there any questions? Great. So if you'd like more, oh, oh. Would you like to <laughs> yes. Um, so we're hoping to have the dual chamber device be competitively priced with traditional injectable options that are on the market. So we're looking like the sub dollar range uh, per device. Um, but we also are particularly interested in finding that sweet spot of usability um, and safety and something that will be intuitive for people. Um, and so we definitely acknowledge that there are some, some prototypes and even solutions out there right now, but are hoping to go about this smaller grant proof of concept idea to get as many ideas as we can out there about how to find the right option. Sorry, could you repeat that? Respiratory delivery of thermostable vaccine powders. Respiratory delivery? That's the problem. For respiratory delivery? Right. So uh, there was a large effort looking at pulmonary delivery, a device of, of measles. It got good immunogenicity in adolescents. Essentially, it could boost the immune response, but in infants, the uh, immune response was lower. Circumversion was lower relative to a subcutaneous delivery. So essentially, in infants where it's actually you're, you're needed. You're talking about uh, active drive, right? Yeah. Yeah, but the amoxin is not thermostable. It's losing logs in two weeks yeah. at 37 degrees centigrade. Yeah. So what's yeah, wrong with, with thermostable vaccines? Well, thermostable vaccines would also be extremely good to have. Right, so also, we also have other grants looking out about thermostable vaccines as well. But for pulmonary delivery, you know, in this clinical studies that we're done, it's shown to be inferior to subcutaneous delivery. What about respiratory? Why do you need pulmonary? For respiratory delivery? Right. Yeah, right now, I think, you know, our, our belief is that the clinical data would suggest that, that delivery by respiratory or, or delivery of pulmonary is results for infants in a poor immune response. We're not investing in that area right now. I don't know this clinical data. Question here? Hi. So uh, you mentioned contraceptive medications for, for that. So do you mean biologic-based contraceptive? Because oral contraceptive already exists, like in tablet formulation, small molecule type. But are you talking about biologic-based? Yeah, we're looking at injectable contraceptives. Okay. Yeah, so it's a DEPA formulation, as someone mentioned in the audience, injectable DEPA formulations for contraceptives. Again, with the idea so that women could uh, self-administer and discreetly take contraceptives for family health. Not, not, not a vaccine. This would be a DEPA formulation of a small molecule contraceptives. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so now we're looking for a device that could deliver it. So you're looking for a device, not a... We're not... Lo- yeah, we're, as someone mentioned, there, there are depo formulations available, but we're looking for a device that can deliver it for self-administration. I got you. Okay, thank you. So there's a specific device, and we're not looking for the contraceptive development. Any other questions? 
grab everybody on this side? Okay. All right, well, thank you for presenting your challenge. Thank you. Great, thank you.